Good evening, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. We're online at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. Our April edition hit the streets last week, and you can find it in our red and white news boxes in more than 60 public libraries, as well as independent bookstores, cafes, social movement centers, and other venues. I will be joined today by my co-host, Amber Gagarian. But Amba is not yet with us, but uh, she will be joining us uh, shortly. Um, so... Amba, as we discussed a little bit last week, uh, had a uh, has a fantastic cover story. In uh, has a fantastic cover story in our current issue, uh, and um, uh, as I said, uh, she will be joining us shortly. Uh, but um, she has a fantastic cover story on uh, Cop City, uh, the controversial uh, police uh, citadel. Uh, that officials in Atlanta have been uh, looking to build for the past couple of years since the George Floyd protests. Uh, it's supposedly to better train police. It's uh, attracted national attention and protests in Atlanta. Uh, uh, an environmental activist uh, by the name of uh, Tortuguita was uh, killed by police when they uh, raided the forest in January. There have been more protests since. Amba was down there in uh, um, in early March, uh, and, and, and covered events there and came back and did the, uh, the cover story for us. Uh, you know, heard so many, so much positive feedback on that cover story. Uh, people welcome here in New York, welcoming, getting a really in-depth, comprehensive report about what's at stake, uh, in Atlanta and, and, and the movement there that's facing a lot of, uh, repression. Um, and, uh, so we're going to talk some more about her cover story today. Um, um, uh, one moment. So we're having a little bit of a problem getting uh, Amba in uh, on to join us, but we should take care of that here in a second. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, great work from, from down there. Um, We've also had coverage of uh, Priscilla Grimm, a uh, New York City activist uh, who was arrested on March 5th and remains behind bars. Uh, she and uh, several others have been denied all bail. Uh, but we're going to talk about Cop City and all those good, uh, all those things a little later in the show. Uh, I'm now joined by Amba Gagarian. Amba, uh, welcome to, welcome back to the show. Absolutely. I'm very happy to be here. I've been a little bit on and off in the past few weeks for our regular listeners, but I'm um, um, always behind the scenes and happy to be here and happy about this show. So I think we're going to go straight into our first segment. Well, right. Oh, I know we, um, we, right, we have a guest here. Uh, so yeah, if you want to go ahead and uh, uh, introduce that segment. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> um, so we are going to turn to the continuing surge in union organizing in some of the largest retail employers in the country. Workers at Trader Joe's stores in New, in New York City and Oakland, California, on Wednesday filed to join the independent Trader Joe's United Union, organizers announced. The National Labor Relations Board typically reviews the verifications petitions and then will set election dates. We don't know when the elections are, but organizers at those schools are gearing up uh, for an upcoming union election. And they are seeking to do so with Trader Joe's United, a young independent campaign led by the grocery store workers themselves and not established with any other union. Last summer, Trader Joe's United in Hadley, Massachusetts, and in Minneapolis unionized the company's stores with that union, Trader Joe's United. And workers in Louisville, Kentucky, followed suit in February. Trader Joe's United is now in the process of bargaining their first contract, and workers are pushing for wage increases, more paid time off, and sick leave, among many other proposals. A union date, while, while the union date is not clear for Lower East Side's Essex Crossing Trader Joe's, which is the one in New York that's uh, at, uh, at hand, uh, a majority of 150 employees 
need to opt to join in in order for that union vote to succeed in the union's favor. And there have been several unsuccessful attempts already in New York to unionize different stores in recent months. The popular 14th Street wine shop actually shut down ahead of a planned unionization campaign last summer. And last fall, workers in Williamsburg voted not to unionize. To talk more about this campaign at the Exus Crossing store in Lower East Side, we're going, we're joined by Gabe Medrano, who is a union organizer there, and he has been working at the company for six and a half years. Gabe, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, glad to have you here. So let's get straight into it. Tell us uh, how and when the union campaign started. Um. The union campaign, uh, I guess, officially started uh, a year and a half ago. It's kind of had its ups, ups and downs since then, kind of moments where there was very little organizing activity and then moments where um, there's like right now where there's been so much organizing activity, it's almost hard to keep track of all of it. Um, but maybe the past six months have seen the most intense activity. Um, we filed their cards, uh, I believe, last Wednesday. Uh, so right now we're in our pre-election period, uh, still waiting on our date from the NLRB for our election date um, and just uh, trying to sustain our supporters and win over some people that are still undecided. Uh, right. And, and uh, Gabe, can you talk a bit to what extent uh, uh, union campaigns and at Starbucks and uh other uh, recent uh, high-profile campaigns have affected the organizing at Trader Joe's? Um, the, uh, like the uh, Amazon Labor Unions campaign and the Starbucks campaign um, definitely influenced us, uh, I believe. Uh, I wasn't there when Trader Joe's United was founded at the Hadley, Massachusetts store, the first store to create this independent union. Um, but I think they were uh, inspired by this new, very young new labor movement where people are being drawn towards independent unions that are uh, running things, uh, running their campaigns a little differently from the larger labor unions and how they've uh, run things in the past. Um, so I think we were definitely inspired by um, those campaigns and the, the youthful energy behind them. What has your campaign looked like uh, at the Trader Joe's down there uh, in the Lower East Side until now? And then how do you plan to sort of or are you gearing up ahead of the election? What has it been like talking to your coworkers and what have they had to say? Um, thankfully, now, since we filed our paperwork with the NLRB, we are a public union campaign. So we're seeing um, in the break room, we're just having open conversations about the merits of a union. Um, whereas before we were, you know, whispering in the break room or, or kind of looking over our shoulder to see if the manager was walking by, um, just in fear of uh, possible retaliation. I know that Starbucks workers have seen a huge amount of firings and retaliation for their union activity. Um, so far, I believe at the Williamsburg store, when they voted uh, during their union campaign, there was one supporter who was uh, conveniently fired uh uh, for their attendance um, right around when the campaign was uh, starting off. So information like that has definitely influenced our secrecy up to this point and our caution. Uh, for example, um, in the height of the pandemic, when things were uh, especially crazy, there was a Trader Joe's worker named Ben Bonima, um, who worked at, I believe, one of the Upper West Side Trader Joe's stores. He wrote a uh, private email to Dan Bain, the CEO of Trader Joe's, um, uh, it's, uh, went viral on Twitter, this little moment, he wrote an email kind of outlining some, uh, changes he'd like to see as far as like the air filtration system at his store. Um, that was very detailed and, uh, uh, very concise, um, and respectful. And, uh, a few days later, he was fired by our regional manager herself who came to this, this store to fire him personally. Um, so stories like that definitely influence us to keep a low profile and, one by one, talk to our coworkers outside of work if possible. Um, but now that uh, we are a recognized union campaign by the NLRB, we are much more open and uh, having more honest conversations at work. And, and can you talk about some of the things that specifically uh, incited uh, workers at the Essex Crossing store uh, to want to take this step, including uh, uh, a 
a, a sewage uh, leak that took place in the store last year and uh, left a lot of uh, workers uh, distressed by how management handled it. Yes. Um, so I kind of all started with the uh, pandemic. Uh, I worked through the entirety of the pandemic, as did many of our coworkers. Um, at the start of it, uh, Trader Joe's was a little slow to institute some kind of pandemic hazard pay to compensate us for working at a time where we were very concerned for our health and safety. Um, it took them a while to install like safety barriers or plexiglass or allow masks and gloves and um, take an active role in reminding uh, customers of those kind of safety policies. Eventually, Trader Joe's kind of got on um did a better job of addressing those things um, and instituted the hazard pay. Um, but as soon as the uh, vaccine came out and essential workers were um, put at the top of the list to receive the vaccine, uh, Trader Joe's removed the hazard pay fairly quickly. Um, at my store, the uh, plexiglass, the, the signage um, advocating for six feet of distance uh, were removed overnight at my store without us being told it was going to happen at first. The next day, we had um, a very heated like meeting with our store manager, uh, where she claimed that um, those changes, uh, the, those safety barriers and such were removed overnight without her knowledge as well, which I, at the time, I think we all found very hard to believe. Um, we didn't have a union at the time, so that kind of really was an inciting moment where I decided, me and the others decided that... Um, we need to have something going forward to protect us from unilateral decisions like this, where um, we're just completely not taken into account and people we don't work with at the corporate office are making decisions that deeply affect our lives. And we don't even know who these people are, really. We don't see them. We're not uh, given a period where we're asked our opinions on things. These decisions are just made so suddenly. So that was definitely an inciting incident. Um the the uh, sewage leak was definitely another one. Um, Trader Joe's stores often have like small events where the store is um, inoperable. Uh, sometimes the refrigerators go down. Um, sometimes uh, just something goes wrong, like a sewage leak. Uh, and in those moments, you really see um, that there's no, there's not enough of a guideline or some kind of process to address a situation like that. Our managers didn't know whether to close the store down to customers, um, but our managers had uh, asked crew members to stay for several hours to see if eventually they could reopen the store again after uh, some kind of maintenance crew came to address the leak. Um, so people were there at the store kind of wandering around trying to find other tasks uh, to occupy their time while they waited to hear if the store was going to reopen while the managers were also trying to hear, I guess, from higher ups on how to address the situation. So moments like that really show us that we need um, more organi organizational structure and uh, a system in place to um, advocate for us at our store and with the company. And how does it feel um, in our last minute or so, how does it feel to be in contact with the workers now at other uh, stores in other parts of the country and to be talking about these same problems you have and the same goals you have. And then lastly, if you could just let us know um, how people or workers can follow you, get in contact with the union um, or keep up with it. It's really great. I'm in constant, uh, constant communication with um, the workers and the union leaders at the other unionized Trader Joe's, as well as uh, crew members at uh, non-unionized Trader Joe's who are interested in getting involved in organizing. So this level of conversation across the company is uh, very powerful and very informative. And um, I think uh, Trader Joe's crew members are really great people. That's why I've done this job for so long. I enjoy working with uh, the people that work at Trader Joe's. So I'm really seeing us come together to have uh, these conversations and learn from each other at a level like never before. So it's uh, really inspiring. Um, I believe you can follow Trader Joe's United on Twitter or also on Instagram uh, where uh Trader Joe's United puts out updates on our bargaining, um, updates on our organizing, and um, just overall good vibes uh, for our new movement. Great. Well, Gabriel Madrano organizing at the Trader Joe's in Essex Crown, Essex Crossing, Lower East Side, New York. It was great to have you on, and we'll be catching up with you later. Uh, have a great rest of your day. 
Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Goodbye. You too. And here at The Independent, we've been closely covering the upsurge in the labor movement over these past two or three years. And we've had some more exciting developments just in the past week that we want to share with you. Uh, for starters, Amba, the Amazon Labor Union, which you've followed closely, uh, got some uh, good news last week from the National Labor Relations Board. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, being able to organize in the break rooms at Amazon warehouses is pretty pivotal because Amazon employees tend to work um, far from the warehouses. And so house calls maybe are live far from the warehouses to live far from the warehouses. So house calls aren't as easy as in other workplaces. So this is a big one. Um, after a very long legal battle between Amazon, the company and Amazon labor union, the national labor relations board announced just Wednesday that Amazon must grant break room access to employees who are organizing their coworkers to vote for a union or just organizing to push for better working conditions. On April 1st of last year, the Amazon Labor Union won its election at the Amazon Warehouse JFK 8 in Staten Island, becoming the first union to prevail over the company ever in the United States. And the ability, as I said, of the union members to organize in break rooms for long periods of time before and after their shift provided crucial access to their co-workers ahead of their union election. Amid Amazon's heavy-handed and often illegal union-busting campaign, access to the break rooms was fought for tooth and nail. But in June of last year, the company broke that agreement, instituting a new access policy, barring worker organizers from break rooms except for 15 minutes before and after their shift time. And all of the Amazon Labor Union's core organizers at JFK8 in Staten Island have been penalized under this rule, taking away from their organizing even further. The company's crackdown has made it much harder for the union to build support at JFK 8 and harder for it to force Amazon to come to the table and negotiate a first contract. It's also impeded organizing elsewhere. So Wednesday's decision from Region 29 National Labor Relations Board that Amazon break room access policy violates federal labor law sets a precedent not just in Staten Island, but all around the country for U.S. Amazon warehouses. Though it's not clear whether the National Labor Relations Board will push for a federal court mandate that would punish Amazon for continuing to limit this access. And even if they do, it it rarely affects the company in any severe way. The NLRB also found on Wednesday that Amazon has violated the law by refusing to bargain with the workers at JFK 8, and that would be the first step in obtaining a bargaining order, which is when an employer is forced to come to the table and bargain, and those are only implemented when it's evident that an employer will not come in good faith to the table, which is pretty clear with Amazon, so that's the update for now. And we have some more good news to share, right, John? Yeah, that's right. So uh, Starbucks Workers United, which has unionized more than 290 Starbucks uh, stores across the country since December of 2021, uh, they've run into an intense anti-union campaign from the corporate leadership of Starbucks. Uh, more than 100 workers have been fired, all sorts of harassment. Uh, something the company has also done is selectively extend new benefits to the non-unionized stores and refuse to extend them to the stores that have voted uh, to unionize. And and one of the benefits they extended uh, was allowing the workers at non-unionized stores uh, to be able uh, to receive uh, tip money uh, from customers uh, using their credit cards. It's something the company had previously refused to do, considered it too burdensome. Uh, they did extend that again to the non-unionized stores. And, uh, and, and this isn't the first time that uh, Starbucks has done that. And, and it's had a very chilling effect on the union uh, campaign because it's like, well, if you join the union, you, you lose out on things that other stores are getting. Well, the National Labor Relations Board in the past few days uh, ruled that this is a, an illegal practice and that Starbucks uh, must not only uh, – extend the same treatment on on tips from credit card payments to its unionized stores but it it will have to uh, uh repay the workers for their their lost compensation from the tip money they would have been entitled to uh, what exactly that will look like remains to be ter- determined and the company of course may try to uh, drag this out further but uh if if this tactic 
is, you know, is eliminated, uh, it will greatly help the, the union drive at Starbucks. Um, so, and of course, uh, great for the workers, uh, to get, uh, get some back pay as well that they were, uh, deprived of because of this illegal tactic. Uh, so that's encouraging. And, uh, tomorrow, uh, uh, longtime, uh, Starbucks, uh, CEO, uh, Howard Schultz will be, uh, dragged into the spotlight and, uh, made to testify before the, the Senate Health Education and, uh, Labor Committee chaired by Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie's been trying to get, uh, Schultz, uh, to come testify in public and, and be held accountable for uh, some of his abusive practices for, uh, a number of months now. So that there should be some fireworks tomorrow around that. Um, but, um, also, uh, some other good news. Uh, the, uh, presidential election for the United Auto Workers, uh, was finally decided in the last couple of days. It was, um, the, it was a very close vote. Uh, and the, uh, reform caucus within the union prevailed. Uh, Sean Fain won by uh, roughly 600 votes out of uh, more than 130,000 votes. Uh, it's the first time that someone outside of the uh, administrative caucus, uh, which has led the union since the 1940s, has prevailed. Uh, the reformers, which say they want to uh, create much more a much more aggressive union, um, have won the majority on the union's executive board. So this is a big breakthrough. It's also the first time in UAW history where uh, uh, members were allowed to directly elect their leadership and not through a, a more indirect ele- election method. So uh, that could get really interesting at UAW. Of course, UAW isn't just auto workers anymore. More than uh, 20% of its membership uh, is in academia, higher education workers, grad students, and others. And um, in here in New York, we've had UAW unions uh, going on strike in recent times. The the strike at the new school we covered in the fall, that was UAW Local 7902, the grad student worker strike, that 10-week strike uh, up at Columbia in the fall of uh, 2021. That was UAW Local 2110. So, um, if, uh, you know, UAW can really uh, revitalize itself and become a more aggressive union, uh, that could be uh, a really big deal as well. We've seen that with the Teamsters as well. They had a a, a direct election and also uh, dep- you know, installed a, a much more uh, aggressive uh, uh, leadership. And, and one other uh, thing I want to highlight is in Michigan, where the UAW was born and really sort of the cradle of the American labor movement, uh, uh, right to work legislation, which was imposed by the Republicans in that state in 2012 was repealed last week. The Democrats won a trifecta in control of the legislature in the governor's seat and Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed, uh, legislation repealing right to work, which is a very, uh, debilitating, uh, law that makes it hard for unions to collect, uh, dues from the members who benefit uh, from union representation, but don't want to actually contribute to it. And um, so that's the first time a state has repealed right-to-work legislation since 1965. And uh, so uh, very encouraging to see uh, Michigan you know, sort of reconnecting with its uh, union roots there. And uh, but, but we're also uh, looking further than the United States. Amba, uh, you've had your eyes on what's uh, happening in France, where the unions are playing a large role in galvanizing a very uh, intense response uh, to uh, the government of Emmanuel Macron, which is trying to impose a higher uh, retirement age on the whole population. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was a, a round of strikes and protests today in France, and there's been strikes and protests over the past 10 days or so um, all over France. Uh, there is a clip that I have uh, from some demonstrators in Paris, uh, some folks I know in Paris, uh, speaking about uh, the demonstration, what it's like to be in the street there and what the cultural atmosphere around uh, the the protest is. And a lot of us say, well, we need more culture protest. Um, so here's an eye in into into France's. They still go to work, like for the, for example, this morning everybody was going to work, and the afternoon they take just three or four hours to just uh, uh, demonstrate uh, and to be there, like. Um, um, so I wouldn't say that the the country is shut down at all. Actually, 
it seems that is the first time I see Paris living so much since uh, the lockdown in uh, in 2020. Uh, when you go in the streets, uh, like the the only thing that doesn't work is the traffic that we, you don't have any car for like one whole day in a in a big area in Paris. But for example, the shops are still open, and um, the only thing that is shut completely shut down are the banks, of course, because people are um, like burning um, the banks. Um, um, actually, what I think also, which I, I listen, uh, this this year, for example, I work in um, I'm I'm a student actually, and I also work uh, in a animation uh, studio, um, and both at my school and in the studio, which are two very different uh, area. Um, all the uh, many many people are uh, going to the streets uh, during um, uh, during the demonstrations. So um, it's the it's uh, like uh, in, and people are very easy to convince to go the, the young generation uh, isn't so used to demonstrate actually and now they are uh, it's coming back uh, like uh, people are um, young people are uh, massively in the street and it's it's very it's uh, it's so joyful <laughs> lots of people are dancing and listening to music and um, and uh, like saying like uh, the um, typical song of um, demonstration also demonstration uh, it says like uh, here we are here we are uh, even if uh, Macron doesn't want here we are uh, for the honor of the labor uh, and uh, uh, and for a better world and uh, we here we are this is the translation <laughs> Yes, yeah, so that was uh, Noemi Collins speaking from France, and she translated at the end a bit the song there. You hear the youth being uh, very angstful against uh, President Macron for a uh, good reason. Oh, that was uh, beautiful to hear. Uh, singing always makes uh, protests uh, better. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, real quick here, um, before we have to cut out to the break, I mean, I think a couple of observations uh, we might want to share with our listeners. I mean, we both had some ex- spent some time in France is, I mean, for one thing, you know, France has a very generous uh, social welfare state compared to almost every other Western country. And that was a sort of a, a and an developed uh, from a post-World War II, essentially social compromise between uh, the ruling class and society uh, coming out of World War II. France had a large communist party, uh, very powerful labor unions, uh, you know, for France to stay aligned, uh, you know, with the West and, and, and it, as a capitalist country, uh, the ruling class had to make a lot of concessions, universal health care, uh, you know, generous pensions, vacation days, all of that. Um, and, and the people in, in France have been very protective of that generous uh, social welfare state. And we saw similar, uh, developments after World War II in other Western countries, of course, here in the U, in places like U.S. and Britain, uh, that, uh, sort of, the social compact uh, has been aggressively rolled back, uh, you know, going all the way back to the 1980s. But in France, they've been able to stave that off to a good extent. And um, as we see, they're very uh, determined to protect uh, what they've won in the past. Right. And going back to the French Revolution, uh, there's there's a deep history there of uh, stepping in when the government overreaches. And then there's a lot at play there, too, uh, with uh, how much the police move to stymie uh, protest and, and how it's um, more ab- easier to protest. As Noemi said, all of everyone gets off early from work and goes protest. So there's a lot there. Yeah, it's uh, pretty incredible. We'll continue to follow uh, that story. Um 
We'll be taking a short break here in a moment. Um, uh, when we come back, uh, shortly after com- we come back, we'll uh, also take some uh, listener call-ins on this final Tuesday of Women- Women's History Month. We want to hear who your sheroes are that you admire uh, to get in the queue. Uh, call 212-209-2877. We'll be back after this short break. Tongues planted in the cheeks of toothy totem cough grins, a parallel to canines whistling to birth a nation. It's one solution, I guess. Crypto by Atlantan band Michael Sarah Palin. Um, they're involved in the Stop Cop City movement, which we'll be talking more about later. You are listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM and on WBAI.org streaming. I am your co-host, Amba Gargarian, here with my other co-host, John Tarleton, and we are happy to be here with you. And because of your continued support and contribution to this station, we are able to be here with you. That is the only thing that keeps the station afloat. We're not half independent, half corporate like many others. We are fully independent, providing you independent news, which means that nobody is paying to control what we say. So in order to keep us on the air, please donate. You can do so by calling the phone number 212-209-2950. Again, that's 212-209-2950. Or you can donate by going online to give the number 2wbai.org. That's give the number 2wbai.org. And Keep the news coming that you love. Imagine uh, what your life would be without WBAI and see if it's worth a few bucks every now and again. Or you can come up to be a WBAI buddy and give monthly. Right, John? That's right. Uh, You can become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. Get all sorts of uh, excellent uh, benefits from that. And, um, and of course, the benefit of really being uh, part of the financial bedrock that keeps this station uh, afloat having that regular stream of revenue from one month to another is absolutely crucial and the more we can uh grow that and get uh more people becoming buddies uh the the more it helps the station we know the station has struggled financially and boy we really be in trouble if we didn't have wbai buddies but uh we certainly need more wbai buddies if you're not one yet uh, 212-209-2950 Again, that's 212-209-2950 or uh, give number two, uh, wbai.org. And uh, as an incentive uh, to uh, support the station, uh, 
we have a, a unbelievable premium uh, we can offer uh, 79 hours of uh, historic women's voices from the Pacifica archives uh, for a hundred dollar contribution or if you sign up to become a WBAI buddy uh, for a little as ten dollars a month uh, there's all sorts of uh, historic uh, voices in this uh, collection uh, I mean Alice Walker Margaret Mead Audrey Lord uh, I mean so many it's uh, it's really incredible and you can listen to them throughout the year uh, women's History Month will be over in three days, but you can uh, take in all these amazing voices throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely, and that's just a gold mine of of sounds um, to to be able to get by supporting the radio that you love to listen to. Uh, I've said it before, and I've said it again. Uh, you know, think about donating to WBAI and keeping us on the air as the price of a pizza or a sandwich. Um, you know, you can afford it, I think. So please call 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950, or go online to give the number to WBAI.org. That's give the number to WBAI.org. And of course, uh, for those who are not of the means to donate, we appreciate your listening. Uh, but for those who can, please do. Right. And uh, we already have uh, one caller who's uh, uh, ready to let us know who the sheroes are that they admire. And if you want to uh, get in line, uh, 212-209-2877, we'd love to hear from you about the women uh, you admire. We had a real outpouring of people last week who shared uh, uh, their favorite women uh, um, people in their own lives as well as historical figures. Love to hear from you. Our first caller, uh, welcome to WBAI Radio. Yes, uh, greeting to the beloved family such as we are. Uh, great program. Uh, the women that I want to lift up, and, and I'm researching them, anybody else has any information, back in the day, it must have been probably the 70s or early 70s or late 60s, Women came forward with journals, and I think there's a book out there, which I can't find or is out of print, called Off Our Backs. Okay. And I did find, I think, from 85, uh, Off Our Backs, a woman's journal, and I'll be looking into that. But those women who came forward pretty much massage where we are today because somehow we're all part of a collective that we've gone back to the days of prisoners of war where women are not recognized to bring birth to their bodies and they need to have control of their bodies. So we're all collectively participating in that because this is beyond absurd, beyond fascist, and off our backs. Anybody who knows that those, the women's names connected with that movement and that the books and journals... I'll be looking forward to their information. Thank you. Thanks so much for calling in today with us. Um, we're, we're taking calls at 212-209-2877 uh, to shout out your Shiro, your uh, Hero for Women's History Month uh, for the rest of the show. That's 212-209-2877. Right. And one of our callers last week, one of the, uh, she, she rose that they, oh, whoops, um, we've got another caller uh, on hold that we're going to go to here. Uh, welcome to WBAI Radio. You're on the air. Yes. I'd like to find out, please, where at on Atlantic Avenue the station is located. I want to send a donation to the station by hand. I want my brother to bring a donation to the station because I'm visually handicapped, and I need to know the cross streets on Atlantic Avenue where the station is located, please. Uh, sure. Uh, the station is located at 388 Atlantic Avenue, and that is, um, of course, in Brooklyn between uh, Hoyt and Bond Street, and the it's in the... Uh, Brooklyn Commons building, and it's on the third floor. Um, uh, you have to um, 
there there's a key code you have to hit downstairs um that can make it a little tricky you can't just uh uh, stroll into they the should building. call in advance. That's what the thing is. Uh, the the thing is is that if you send an email to, um, let's say, you send an email to the general manager in advance to uh, uh, Bertold B E R T H O L D dot W B A I dot com uh, dot org. Uh, send it in advance when you're coming in, and someone will be there to uh help you out i don't have internet i'm visually handicapped that's why i'm doing it no we understand that but the thing is is Mm -hmm. that because we're still in a situation that um the station is in a semi shutdown um mode and 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 just coming up here won't guarantee you can be waiting downstairs without that's what john was trying to uh uh let you know about that right okay well like don't you have a a procedure for packages or something like if you press a bell will somebody come down well that's the reason why you have to give a heads up to whoever is here because it's really essentially there's only one person here in the station Mm -hmm. at times okay so is this sean rhodes no this is not sean rhodes Oh, okay. Well, I listen. I, his voice sounds similar to Mr. Sean. No, Rhodes. it does not, because I'm not Sean Rhodes. Okay. All righty. <laughs> I just asked the question. Um, so we certainly appreciate your desire to support the station, and um, uh-huh. you know, I hope we, this can uh, work out for you. Um, and and uh, and okay, you're. At 388 Atlantic Avenue between Hoyt and Bond. Between Hoyt and uh, Bond Street. Um, it's okay. near a number and, of uh, subway lines. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm, my brother says Hoyt and Bond. He, he'll be able to find it for me and for you all because I am trying to donate as you so often request. That's yeah, we, we really appreciate that. We, mm-hmm. we appreciate uh, loyal listeners like yourself and the fact that you would come all the way uh, to uh, the station headquarters to make that contribution uh, is really right, uh, extraordinary, and we, we salute that. Okay. All right, then. So thank, thank you very much. Have a good, safe day, and I appreciate you all there. Thank okay. you. Do we have any more callers on the line right now? Not yet. Okay. Right, so, uh, right. We don't have any more callers in line yet, but uh you know again you can uh call in uh 212-209-2877 again that's 212-209-2877 if you're feeling like hey the thing i, I most urgently want to do is, is support this station like our previous caller and you can do it uh from home you can call uh, 212-209-2950 and become a WBAI buddy or make a one-time contribution. So, Amba, while we uh, wait in, in – all right, uh, we, we are going to get your report on Cop City uh, shortly, your important update about that, but we do have uh, one more caller uh, for now waiting to uh, come on the air. Hello, you're on WBAI radio. If you can speak up a little bit, it's, it, okay. we're having a hard time hearing uh, you. I just thought, well, two things. The woman could call like she just did, right, and say when she was coming, right? I mean, how how difficult is that to, to, you know, like, I thought that would have occurred to you, but you're on the air. And I, I appreciate you're doing this, and I love love your paper. I wish I could get to read it more. I, I do have... have uh, uh, it's near me, so I, I love I love the paper. My mother was a writer, and she sued Tommy Capote, and that's the person I would like to 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 shout out for. Her name was Bonnie Golightly, and she was the original Connie Golightly of Breakfast at Tiffany's. And because of her, people have have gone ahead in spite of the troubles women have getting published. Women have so much more trouble getting published. Women have trouble uh, finding out about birth control when when there is very little. You either had uh, abortions 
I mean, those were in the days before the diaphragms, that, or they just come into being. Uh, it, it's not yet perfected yet. We need to go further so that people are not afraid to use birth control uh, uh, with the pill because of the, the safety issues of blood clots and, and strokes and things like that can, that can occur. occur. Uh, all kinds of things that uh, uh, Corinne Frenari was just talking about. Where women really go through a lot. And it happens so much, so many things have, have come to light since the women's movement has been in existence. And she was ahead of her time. She had a, a bookstore on, on uh, Washington Square Park during the 40s. And uh, she was the original of... of Hippie, I guess. Wow. That's great. So you're honoring your mother, Bonnie Golightly? Yes. Yes, she sued Truman Capote, and she lost. But after his death, his estate admitted that she was the uh, Connie Golightly. Oh, great. That's that's a, a pretty inspiring mother, it sounds like, and the fact that she owned a bookstore uh, yeah. on the park her, is, is, her is pretty incredible. So her, her, thanks so much her, for calling in. Her father was a preacher, and she didn't want him to get the idea that, that she wasn't an upright person, and that's why she sued him. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thank you. That's, that's really great to hear. So we have a few more minutes here, Amba. And uh, we want to get to your update about Cop City. Uh, you've continued to f follow that story. Of course, you have the cover story that came out last week in The Independent, but there's been uh, more developments uh, since then in this uh, epic struggle in Atlanta to try to stop the construction of the largest uh, uh, police training facility in the country. Yes, absolutely. So in September of 2021, nearly two years now, the Atlanta City Council approved the building of what would be the country's largest police training facility, as you said, in the country's largest urban forest. And 30% of that project would be financed by the city, and the remaining 60 would be paid for by the Atlanta Police Foundation. So I have some updates about the Police Foundation later on. Um, and it's important to note that the Atlanta Police Department said that it intends to recruit 43% of the planned facilities trainees from out-of-state police departments. So that's your backyard if you're not listening in New York. So since its approval, the plan has faced widespread outcry, and the Defend Atlanta Forest movement is made up of neighborhood associations, environmental groups, local schools, racial justice groups, police accountability groups, and <clears throat> people from all over. Basically, the forest defenders, which is people that took the forest and started sleeping in there um, shortly after the September 2021 announcement, were in the forest for over a year until... Uh, December when the police cleared them out in a set of violent raids um, during which some people were charged with domestic terrorism uh, for uh, doing things like setting police cars on fire. Um, and yeah, <laughs> and and um, destruction of property. Yes. Domestic terrorism, many are arguing, no. Um, breaking Bank of America windows, many are arguing, is not domestic terrorism, particularly because Bank of America will be funding this project through the Atlanta Police Foundation. So it's right. a story. Now we have a couple more minutes here. What, what are some of the latest uh, developments uh, that have uh, occurred so the latest development, so I have to say one thing, uh, a forest defender named Tortuguita was shot and killed in a, in a fatal in the yeah. last forest raid on January 18th. And then between January 18th and April, March, sorry, March 4th through 11th, there was nobody sleeping in the forest. March 4th through 11th, there was a week of action. There was a convergence there in Atlanta. People from all over the country, even the world, came and protested against Cop City and against the killing of Tortuguita, who was the first environmental protester killed in the U.S. ever by the police. And I was there, um, and uh, that I learned a lot there, and that's where a lot of this reporting is coming from. But during that uh, week of action, there was a music Music festival, and uh, during the music festival, the 
police, Georgia State Police, DeKalb County Police, Atlanta Police Department came in, raided the forest yet again, made violent arrests and arrested people and charged them with domestic terrorism. And uh, there were 23 people charged with domestic terrorism. And uh, there is recent news that uh, the bond has been denied for eight of them since last week, and they've been jailed since March 5th. Uh, all in all, 41 have been charged and uh, only going eight back to December. All in all, going back to December, uh, 41 have been charged. And the judge who denied the bail for um, all of them, except for these eight who have been released and then a few others have exorbitantly high bail, um, appears to have a family connection to a firm tied into the Cop City Project leadership because they are donating to the Atlanta Police Foundation. Um, and just yesterday, the police raided the Walani Forest yet again in attempt to clear protesters who had been camping in there since the cop stop cop city week of convergence um march 4th through 11th and one of the first things that the police uh destroyed according to protesters was a memorial to the slain protester tortuguita so there are reports that the authorities will be clear-cutting um in the coming days right and one of the eight uh uh, people that remains uh, um, behind bars is Priscilla Grimm, a longtime New York City uh, activist. Uh, she was an editor at the Occupied Wall Street Journal. Uh, does has done amazing work online uh, with all sorts of online news sites. Uh, she went down for the protests and was one of the people arrested in that raid on that music festival on the on the night of uh, March fifth, and was detained for things like having mud on her pants, which somehow they consider incriminating but uh, we have to wrap up now we thank everybody for joining us for another edition of the uh, independent news hour we thank our uh, board operator uh, reggie johnson and uh, we have a bunch of more great shows coming up on wbai tonight starting at, at six o'clock we have a half hour version of democracy now and there'll be more great programming through the night so please stay tuned to this station and uh Amba, what's our uh, out- outgoing uh, song here today? Um, we're going to hear La Retraite, meaning retirement, which is a protest song by Les Vulves Assassines, or Assassinating Vulvas.